Hello and welcome to CAD Speaker Series podcast. This week, CAD Student Ambassador Alexandra Gonzalez will be interviewing Douglas Barrios and Ricardo Villasmil, research fellows at CAD. Douglas and Ricardo will be talking about Venezuela's socioeconomic crisis, the challenges of gathering data to conduct a research project on the country, and will present an agenda for democratic governance and economic recovery. Welcome, Ricardo and Douglas, to the Center of International Development Weekly Speaker Series. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Ricardo, you have been doing very interesting research on the crisis in Venezuela at the center. Could you tell our audience what this initiative is about and what are the areas that you are analyzing? Uh, yes. Well, the story is, is, is quite simple, in fact. It's interesting, but simple. Uh, this began as an interest of us as Venezuelans. There are many Venezuelans in this center. Ricardo's Venezuelan, uh, Douglas is Venezuelan, I am Venezuelan, Frank Musi is Venezuelan, two, uh, Miguel Santos and uh, Jose, Morales. Jose Morales. So uh, we all began like informally meeting after work or during lunch hours or on weekends to work a little on something regarding Venezuela. And uh, over time, we came to realize that that wasn't enough, that the situation needed more dedication from us, uh, that we could do more if we could incorporate Venezuela as a formal project within the center, similar to the other uh, nations we are working with. So that has given it a, a real boost because we now have that. We're not cheating on the other project to work on Venezuela, but formally working on it. So we are continuously updating it comparing notes with uh, and engaging in talks and discussions with many other uh, economists, uh, social scientists working on other areas, because this is a multi-pronged crisis. You have a social dimension and economic dimension, but also in terms of governance, health, uh, nutrition. As you can see, this is a, and, and personal security. There are even areas that we do not have any much to say because of our our training is not in those fields, but we recognize the importance of it and try to see how we can coordinate a coherent plan among those uh, long, strong, uh, those many dimensions. But we're mostly on the economics and social areas. And like I said, you know, continuously updating, meeting with international organizations, country representatives that may be of interest that they know what we're doing that may give us some information that we don't have. So sharing this both with our colleagues uh, here and abroad and other agencies that are interested in Venezuela is also helpful. Uh, and we believe that we contribute in that way. Thank you, Douglas. What are some of the numbers and indicators that you have found striking? And also, how have you dealt with the reliability of the data? Because uh, Venezuelan government has not published uh, consistent data through the previous years. How have you dealt with this? Yeah, it's it's uh, interesting. And as uh, different members of the team always point out, it ends up being more of like a kind of a detective work rather than traditional economic analysis. So sometimes we show something that for uh, an analyst working for another country takes them five minutes to do because they just go down to the central bank's webpage and download all the information. Uh, here we need to start with the question of 
what is the number of GDP and what do we believe the number for GDP is? What do we believe to what's the number of the exchange rate? And people get to have opinions about things that are facts in other places. So that's definitely something that's difficult. There are a number of key indicators that uh, have, are not published uh, or are not published credibly, um, namely the inflation statistics, GDP statistics, even survey data. Uh, household survey data has not been published for a couple of years. Um, like budget family data has not been published in a number of years. Census data, the same. So you need to recreate a number of things that are e easily can be easily found in other places. So I think there are uh, three sources of information. One is that we are part of a broader network that includes economists, uh, Venezuelan economists around the globe, most of them in Venezuela. Uh, we are proud to be a part of that team. And they gain access to different sources of information. They are privy to official statistics that they are able to uh, scrape apart from one way or another. They are willing to share that with a group of analysts, so we get part of the information that way. The other part is guesswork, in a, but educated guesswork, if you will, which is, uh, in many cases, we try to recreate what needs to be true in order for whatever official statistic is available to also be true. So if we have uh, three pieces of information that we know and eight pieces that are missing, uh, what eight potential pieces of information would be consistent with the three things that we know. So we try to recreate what numbers would fit with whatever we see. And third is we, we try to independently collect data. And not only us, but a, a number of people. So we have uh, affiliated ourselves with uh, local researchers that have been tracking independent measures of inflation. Uh, we have also associated ourselves or gotten to know the work of an MIT team that has sponsored a crowdsourcing uh, effort into having people report the prices of goods. Uh, just to simple to give a reference of what are things priced at and gain a better understanding of what will happen in the future. So it's more of a definitely a detective work of trying to figure out what's happening. And I think from the effort of figuring out what's happening, we've come to learn a lot. And I think perhaps two of the most uh, interesting or and, and by interesting, I, I really mean sad things that are going on is one of them is the evolution of the Venezuelan economy that we uh, estimate as having fallen in the past five years, something around 38% in GDP per capita terms, which is something unheard of in times of peace, at least in the past 20 years. And it's unheard of in the history of Latin America. Uh, an another interesting fact that we've been able to identify is uh, weekly or monthly me measures of inflation, at least in terms of uh, basic staple goods of food. Uh, we see now that this year inflation of uh, basic uh, food items is running at 6% a week, which approximates to almost like 2,000% a year. We have seen that uh, non-oil imports have fallen uh, since peak, something like 82%, which has been associated with the disappearance of food uh, and the lack of access to, to basic goods. So those are some of the items. And also through independent survey data, we have seen that poverty, income poverty levels have risen from 30% to 80%. So the interesting thing about this is that given that these numbers are recreated, with imperfect data, uh, there is a chance that we're wrong, and we hope to be wrong, and we hope to be wrong get that we are overestimating the crisis. But these different items are recreated in different ways, and they're consistent amongst themselves. So whatever the truth is out there, the truth is that the collapse has been so large that independent of how you recreate these statistics, they tell the same story, and they tell the story of a horrible uh, economic and humanitarian catastrophe.
Thank you, Douglas. So, Ricardo, I know that for these uh, very sad numbers that you have found, uh, you have also made an effort to do a plan uh, for the recovery and reconstruction of Venezuela together with other experts. Could you tell us a little bit more about this plan and proposal for recovery and also how urgent you think it is for the uh, government in Venezuela to change? Well, beginning with uh, Douglas statistics and the, the tragedy, the catastrophe that's unfolding in Venezuela, one of the main premises of an alternative policy response to this would be that there's no continuation of this strategy. So you need to stop this downhill path and begin recovery quick. So this is not a blood, sweat, and tears program, a traditional uh, type bell tightening that needs to go on in Venezuela because that's what's going on right now. They've been tightening the belt, not of the government, but of the people, uh, in order to pay debts that, you know, that are illegitimately issued and uh, probably even held by many of the cronies of the government. So uh, the, the way to do this is to address it in two ways. How do you finance first in the current policy setting something that makes lives better off? Because we're not thinking about macroeconomic indicators. We're thinking about first how do you make people's lives better in the first day? So what we need to do is to, to stop the few resources that are coming in through oil exports and other exports. Instead of them going to pay the debt, going to uh, improve those 82% fallen imports and start recovery in that measure so that people can build stuff, so they uh, farmers can buy fertilizers, can buy seeds, and the country starts picking itself on its two feet, in addition to allowing international uh, assistance, humanitarian aid to come into the country, because one of the worst crimes of the government have been to deny the existence of a humanitarian crisis and even help other countries in need. So sending aid to like Puerto Rico or sending aid to New Orleans or sending aid to the Gulf, and you say, what an irony, what, uh, how, how, how can you be so, you know, I don't, I don't even have a, a term for that. So allowing that would, would, would help, of course, uh, in the beginning. And uh, one of the things we try to identify is which is the binding constraint to recovery. And the, when you look at Venezuela and you look at, well, crime, or you look at, you know, the, the, the health situation, the, the education sector, is it, oh, what is it? So it, it, it's almost tempting to say that it's everything, but there's also, there's always one thing, or we like to think that there's one thing that's truly binding the recovery, and once you uh, overcome that, there will be another set, and it's an ongoing process to keep growth and keep uh, prosperity going on. So that one thing we think is, is the foreign exchange problem, which has to do with two things. It uh, has to do with uh, n the lack of international access to finance, so we have to recover that. And the other thing has to do with paying the debt in the terms that it was issued. So we need to go on the two fronts in order to uh, have to remove the foreign exchange constraint. We need to restructure the debt with a significant uh, haircut, and we need to access important numbers or volumes of international finance to help 
make the program or to facilitate the idea of a program that's expansive from the start because you need a huge current account deficit and a huge fiscal deficit at first to make the recovery uh, palpable, to make it politically sustainable as well. Because if you, right now, if you tell the population, well, we, you've, Venezuelans have uh, had a government that made these policy mistakes, so we'd have, we're going to have to pay for that. And we're going to continue on this way for five years, but in year number six, we're going to start to recover. That's just going to lead people to just leave or vote for the other guy who's promising quick success uh, through populism. So you, if, if, you need, if you want to have a sustainable program that leads to sustainable prosperity, you need to address that big issue of, of foreign exchange restriction. So the sooner this plan of recovery uh, is implemented, the better for, uh, for all the Venezuelan citizens. How urgent is the... Yeah, that, that's, you know, that gets into, uh, into deep uh, human things because I, I, there, there's a lot of speculation about people that probably take the view of, no, let them, let the crisis go on. That way the people will realize that socialism is a failure and not until they really suffer they will realize that that was not the way. The government will turn on popular. They will turn on their own government. And then there will be a path to recovery. So the people have to suffer in order to learn the lesson. So that's, that's a very comfortable way of putting it when, you, when it's not in your shoes that the things are, are, are going. So, uh, and I, we challenge that point of view. At least I challenge it heavily because there's no, there's no proof that learning the lesson is going to lead to a better outcome. We have countless examples of countries, cities, civilizations that have endured pain with no gain, so uh, and even disappeared. So why should we believe that this addressing of the, this way of addressing the crisis is going to lead to better? So we need to stop this because the consequences are terrible, not only for the immediate life of people, but for the future lives of people that had nothing to do with this, that never voted for this, that never participated in this, uh, that are children or people who haven't even born, been born yet. And they're not getting the adequate calories, they're not getting the adequate nutrition, so they're going to go into a, into a world that's highly competitive for automation and knowledge and so forth, and that they haven't even had an adequate upbringing in the first five years of life. So uh, so we cannot have that. We cannot be a, a well-functioning country in 2050 or 2030 or if, uh, if our younger generation is suffering, is already handicapped by this. Yeah, so changing the current regime in Venezuela is not only time-sensitive, but it's uh, also relevant for not only for the Venezuelan citizens, but also for other countries in the region. Douglas, what do you think should be uh, the role of countries like Colombia that have been affected uh, in terms of commerce, migration, security, and other neighboring countries, and even the international community on, uh, on the Venezuela crisis, how can they, for example, uh, proceed uh, making accountable the people that have been involved in uh, corruption? Sure thing. Oh, before, I, I think I, this answer, this question is super pertinent, but avoiding uh, <laughs> particle a bit, I, I just wanted to chip in a bit on our previous question uh, regarding a sense of urgency, perhaps sharing a, a personal story. 
Um, so sadly, a few years ago, my, my father passed away from cancer. Um, he fought bravely for a year before um, not being able to continue. But during that year, uh, the last year of his life, after he has worked all his life, trying to set up some money so to be sure that when he passed away, my family would be okay. When the disease started, the black market exchange rate was at 100. And by the end of the year, nine months later, it was at 1,000. So whatever he worked all his life to accumulate, to try to set aside, to protect his family when he was gone, was slashed by 10 within a year. Now the black market exchange rate is at 30,000. So that story has probably, uh, it's not my story, it's probably the story of everybody in Venezuela that has worked for a lifetime. And whatever they have tried to achieve, whatever they accumulated, whatever they saved apart from years of hard work and making tough choices, is just being shriveled away. So when we talk about urgency, it's not only like GDP statistics and the horrible statistics about nutrition. It's like wiping away your history. And I think that every day that passes, it chips away uh, at years of effort, it chips away uh, years of tough choices, it chips away at, at what we're trying to provide for ourselves, for our family, for our future. So it's deeply personal for everyone. And I think we need to acknowledge when we're talking about this that we're just not talking about uh, a country like in the ether. Like we're talking about real people, real choices, real things that are, that are impacting and ca causing real tragedies. Now, having said that, I think that uh, that this uh, is not only happening in Venezuela. Not, what happens in Venezuela not only impacts Venezuelans. I think it does have a, a, an impact in the region in general because people that have to make these hard choices have also taken the extra hard choice of having to say goodbye to whatever they built in their home country and trying to find a better life where they can be free and where they can prosper in other frontiers. And I th I'd like to be sincerely thankful to those countries that have made a way for them to legally be there and to legally establish them. And it's not easy. It's not easy when you're any country, any developing country that has a number of issues, when 100,000 people are coming down the door and saying we want to in uh, on trying to participate in this, and this creates additional pressure on who's ever there. It's not easy to welcome them. But uh, I sincerely thank those that have and ask of the understanding of those that have yet to do so. Uh, so the first thing that I would ask for these governments to be understanding of the deep uh, humanitarian crisis that is happening and understand that these people that are coming there are not criminals, are not there to uh, take advantage of your social security system. They want to create things. They want a better tomorrow for their families. They're there uh, in order to try to rebuild what was taken from them. And in doing so, will probably contribute significantly to the places where they are. Um, and I think that that's one dimension. And the other dimension is that the people that have been responsible for this uh, are not only responsible for poor management and poor government. Many of them are also involved in acts of violation of human rights. Many of them are involved in narco-traffic. Uh, many of them are involved in other uh, illicit activities. And uh, definitely those that have been involved in those types of activities need to be repudiated internationally. And they need to be known that these types of behaviors are not accepted in the, in the decent countries of the world, which are the majority of countries in the world. And lastly, I think in a political sense, uh, countries around the world should not be recognizing um, institutions that are inconstitutional, illegal, and fraudulent that have been set up to try to undermine real institutions. So the National uh, Constituent Assembly that was recently set up, that has been denounced by many, other co many countries, should be denounced further. Uh, I think those three things 
uh, would be immensely beneficial and forever, um, as Venezuelans, we're forever grateful if any of those things, ideally all of them, are underta undertaken by uh, countries around the world. Thank you, Douglas. I really admire the capacity and the effort that all the Venezuelan citizens are doing in their country, but also abroad. And this is a problem that requires the commitment not only of Venezuelan citizens, but also of neighboring countries, the international community, the role that you are having in the academia here at the Center of International Development and other centers. So would you like to give Ricardo or Douglas any final message to the audience regarding the future and the commitment for coordination of uh, the recovery plan or the hope for Venezuela? We live with a lot of misconception of what's of things that are not close to us. So if you ask me about uh, what people in North Korea would like to hear, I, I'd have to say I have no idea, and it would be great if I get more information. So uh, spreading information that's, uh, to the best of our ability, the, the information that we believe, what's going on in the ground is helpful in itself. Because it, information, well-communicated, uh, serious information creates true empathy. Uh, we're all human beings and we're sensitive to the plights of uh, people everywhere. Living being is everywhere. So I think that that is something in itself and it's a lot uh, what you're doing. So we thank you for uh, helping us create more awareness of what's going on in Venezuela, of informing people. And if one somebody cares and goes back home and says, look what I learned today, that in Venezuela... We thought that this was this way, and it's not. And uh, so that's a chain reaction that uh, who knows when will create a, a difference. Thank you, Ricardo and Douglas, for coming to the Center of International Development and talking to us about your research on the Venezuela crisis. Thank you very much for having us. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.